Good morning. We're glad you're here today. Hope you've had a great weekend so far. Getting to start a new week with God's people gathered together in worship. Hope our worship has been encouraging already and heartfelt. And I pray our lesson will be the same. For those of you that are visiting here today, thank you for being here. We're glad you're here. We always like our visitors to know who we're trying to be at Great Oaks. Uh, we are trying to simply be Christians, undenominational followers of Jesus Christ. We, we don't think God wants us to be denominational, so we try our best not to be. We think God just wants us to follow the Bible. We try our best to do that. And if you have any questions about Great Oaks or about the churches of Christ or, or anything you see today, please let us know. We're trying to help each other follow God, uh, sincerely trying to follow Jesus. So if you have questions about that, let us know. We'd love to help you any way that we can. We've got a lot of exciting things coming up in the next few weeks. I hope you'll be checking out the bulletin and the announcements. We said one of our big goals this year was to build relationships. Coming out of the COVID years, a lot of people felt more disconnected after the social distancing era. And so make sure you're paying attention to what all is coming up. Let me just highlight one big thing that is starting uh, next Sunday morning, our 40 days of prayer. This is something that's become an annual fall tradition for us at Great Oaks. Uh, if I remember right, Brenda said this is year 15 that we've done this. That doesn't seem like it can be right, but somewhere in there, it's been, we've done this for several years. And so uh, 40 days of prayer starts October 15th through November 23rd. Uh, here's what we do. It's, it's made up of three parts. So let me explain all three parts, especially if you're new here at Great Oaks. The first one, I guess the biggest one, we simply want to improve our personal prayer life. And that's the big goal of the 40 days. Starting next Sunday, day one, what we do, we put out a devotional, a prayer devotional. There will be booklets handed out. They'll be posted on our website, on our social media, through the email that we send out to our members each day. We want everybody, if you can, to read through that devotional thought and just take some time between you and God in private prayer. We want to get to November 23rd and every single one of us be closer to God than when we started because we've taken time praying to God on our own. And so that's the big encouragement. We hope this will be a faith-building, prayer-building time. We're all too busy. And so we're trying to do it all together, encourage ourselves together to make this a focused time of prayer. As we get near the end of October and in November, we add a couple things to it as we go. The first one, we'll be getting ready for a 24-hour prayer vigil. That is exactly what it sounds like. We will have someone up here, multiple someones up here at the building for 24 straight hours praying through prayer request. And so we're going to start taking up prayer requests from our members, from our friends. We'll put it online if you want to share it on social media. Anybody wants to give prayer requests. And we're going to be praying through those constantly for 24 straight hours from Friday afternoon, November 10th through Friday afternoon, November 11th. So as we get closer, we'll be taking your prayer request. You can sign up for an hour shift. That's how we do it. You don't come up here by yourself for 24 straight hours. You sign up for an hour shift. We'll have people watching the building as well. You can sign up to be part of that security team also if you'd like to help with that. But that's the second big piece. And then that weekend ends with the third big piece of this. We have a Praying for Memphis Sunday on November 12th. And what we do there, we'll have our, our usual coming together worship service but we're going to focus that time of worship on praying for God's blessing on our community, our Memphis community that God has allowed us to serve and live in here and pray for our outreach in this area. And so as we go along, it starts very personal. But as we go through this 40 days, it broadens itself in a little bit more of an outreach focus in our prayer lives. And it's always meaningful. We hope you can be part of it. Let us know if you have any questions 
about our 40 days of prayer. We're excited about it. Let's start with a prayer, and then we'll begin our lesson for the morning. God, we are truly appreciative of prayer. We know we are not owed it. We know that we don't deserve it. And yet you, as our Creator and our God and our Father, you have given us the promise that you hear us, that you act based on your children's request, and that you will act in the best interest um, for our eternity and our life. God, we pray for stronger faith and prayer. We pray that as we start our 40 days next week, that our prayer lives will deepen, that we will get to the end of this fall feeling closer to you, knowing that we've spent daily time with you more than ever before. God, we do pray your blessing on this church family, on all our friends and family, on our community. We pray, God, you'd work in our lives, open doors for your word. Lord, as we study your word together this morning, I pray that what is said will be what you want to be said, and that our lives will be closer to you because of it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our theme this year has been Let Us Arise and Build. It's a faith-building theme, a relationship-building theme, a church, God's church-building theme. And so one thing that we pointed out last week, God lets us build things in life. That's part of the way the world is set up. We're on a timeline, and what you do today will, will build on tomorrow, and what you do tomorrow will build on the next day. And so God allows us this ability to grow and to change. But sometimes we don't build what we should. And sometimes we take that ability to grow and change and we take it the wrong direction. We find ourselves off track. So we're going to take a few weeks starting last Sunday, just a few lessons along the way to make sure we look at some of those things we don't want to be building and focusing too much on. And so the one we started last week and the one we will continue today, we talked about the challenge of money. And we looked at a story Jesus told last Sunday morning. In Luke chapter 12, about a man who had spent his whole life building for himself. It was all about his money. It was all about his wealth. He said, I'm going to build bigger barns and bigger barns. And then God in that story comes to him and says, what about your soul? You spent all this time building. Wasn't wrong that he was a hard worker. Wasn't wrong that he was saving. Those things weren't wrong. But he had let... Let his faith slide. God was not part of the picture as he built for himself. We don't want to make that mistake. And so we challenged ourselves last week. We started with the heart. Because Jesus said in that parable, beware of greed. When when Jesus tells me to beware of something, I I want to listen. He says, don't let that become part of your life. That's not your real life. Beware of greed. And so we we asked ourselves, what might tempt me in my heart to think that money is going to solve my problems? Because we're tempted to think that money is what's going to keep us safe in the future, or money is going to give us a status, or money is going to help us be better than somebody else. And he says, we challenged ourselves anyway last week to say, God does those things. God is the one that gives us safety for the future. God is the one who gives us status. God is the one who gives us value. And so we don't want to be tempted to trust money to do things that God does, because that's a, that's a bad path to go down. Today we're going to continue that, and then we'll do some other things um, after this. So just a brief two weeks on money. But I I said last week it's worth it to me because the Bible says a lot about it. There's about 2,000 verses in the Bible about money, and uh, it's something we hadn't talked about for a while, and it's a big deal in our culture. So we need to talk about it. So let's spend today looking at some money reminders. This is our main passage for the day if you want to write it down. If you didn't open with Ian a second ago, you may want to go ahead and open up to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 
We're not going to read that whole section. There's a few verses in between we'll skip over. But there's a section on money at the beginning of that passage. There's a section on money at the end. And what I like about this passage, I think it gives, it pulls together a lot of what the Bible says about money in those 2,000 whatever verses there are. So what I hope we'll do, what I'm going to do is just read the passage. Uh, We're going to point out after that six things I see there that I think you'll find throughout the rest of the Bible about money. And I hope it'll be a good study, a good reminder for the morning. So first of all, let's read through it. This is Paul, he, the Apostle Paul. He's writing to Timothy, uh, someone that Paul had been a mentor for, and he's left Timothy to help the church at Ephesus. And so as Timothy is working there, he's giving him all sorts of advice about the church and about handling false teachers and other things. And look what he says here as he gets near the end of his letter. He says, But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. Let me explain. We're jumping into a sentence there, as you can tell. Paul has been saying that there were false teachers who were trying to get attention for money. And they thought that godliness was a way to get rich. And so they're saying whatever people wanted them to say to try to get rich. There's always been false teachers. There's always been people trying to make money off religion. He says godliness is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. He's talking about a different type of gain, isn't he? Look at verse 7. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. In these next few verses, he's going to say, but you be better than that. You don't chase those things. You be better. I'm going to skip ahead to verse 17 where he picks up the money theme again. He says, instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. All sorts of money themes there. With the rest of our time, I'm going to point out six things. I've got a line underneath each one of those. If you're keeping the outline with us, if you'd like to write down the other passages, we'll put alongside these. You can write those there. But let's get some biblical reminders about money. Number one, strive to learn contentment and thankfulness. Those are two great themes, but they're not easy to really internalize in your life especially in a culture that celebrates more, more, more. If you get more, you're winning in some way. Strive to learn contentment and thankfulness. And some, some people really struggle with the contentment idea. We were talking about money in a young adult class years ago, probably 10 years ago. And somebody came up to me after the class, and, and it's exactly what he said. He said, I really struggle with contentment. Like what? At what point are you content? Because you want to do well in your job and you want to move up in your job and you'd like to keep going in life and maybe maybe do more for your family in life. So is contentment against that? 
How does that work? Uh, I wrestled with that a little bit this week. Uh, one definition I found for contentment, a state of happiness and satisfaction. A state of happiness and satisfaction. In other words, am I, am I satisfied? Not in the sense that I can't try to keep growing, but am I satisfied? If this was my life, am I, am I thankful for it? Am I content with what I have? And he says there in verse 6, if we can add contentment to our lives, there in that First Timothy 6 passage, uh, that's, that's gain. We have contentment alongside us. Verse 8 says, if we just have food and covering, we should be content with that. How, how can we build contentment the way God wants us to? First of all, I notice perspective in that passage. If I'm just thinking about how to build contentment in my own life. Verse 7, that's hard to argue with verse 7. He says, you brought nothing into the world. You're not taking anything out of it either. Don't get too caught up in things that aren't going to be here forever. They're not going to be part of your existence. Uh, they're here for just a very short time. Verse 8, you still see that perspective theme. If you got food and covering, you got a lot more than a lot of people in the world. He says, you'll be okay. How else do you build contentment? Well, maybe just what we talked about last week also. If you're writing down the passages with us, write down Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. If we're struggling with contentment, we're probably thinking future stuff. Um, because God has blessed us with what we need today. We're, we're going to be fine today. And so if I'm struggling with contentment, I'm probably thinking tomorrow I want to be more. And the next day I want to be more, have more and have more. Well, Hebrews 13 reminds us, God's there tomorrow and God's there the next day. You don't have to worry about those days. He says, make sure your character is free from the love of money. That's a good statement, isn't it? Being content with what you have. And then, so how do you do that? How do you, how do you be content and get love of money out of your life? For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. So that we may confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? God will always be alongside me. That helps me build contentment. I will always have God's blessing. I always have God's strength. He'll be there tomorrow, the next day, and so on. And look at verse 6. There's nothing to be afraid of. I don't know where the world's going. You don't either. I don't know what's going to happen to economies this year, next year, 10 years from now. Who knows? But God is alongside His people. I can have some contentment. And then the other thing we mentioned on this one is thankfulness. I think thankfulness helps build contentment. As soon as that fall weather hits, a lot of us start thinking about Thanksgiving and family get-togethers. And, and my sisters were texting a couple weeks ago, what are we doing for Thanksgiving? What are we doing for Christmas? People are thinking about those sorts of things. I, I'm thankful that we have an annual time to focus on thankfulness because we need it. We need it. We need a time to regularly say, here's what I do have. Instead of constantly thinking, what do I not have? What do I want to have? What do I one day want to have? Now, what, what, what do I have? Right now, today, God has blessed me. God has blessed you. And so that this verse says, verse 17 of chapter 6, God richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Let's learn to focus more on thankfulness and less on what we don't have. Number two in this passage, uh, biblical principle on money. Pursuing wealth brings temptation, and loving money produces evil. I've got to watch what my goals are. If I'm all about getting more and more wealth, there's a temptation there, the Bible says. Did you notice it there in verse 9? Those who want to get rich fall into temptation 
and a snare, and many harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. So what, what temptations are there? If you're pursuing wealth, you might be tempted more to covet what other people have. You might be tempted to envy what other people are accomplishing or have in life. Greed might become part of your life. You at some point, if, if the devil sees that you're really after money, I, he's probably going to give you an opportunity where you're going to get to choose lying for money or maybe hurting someone else for money or stealing from what someone else has. It can darken your heart. It can take you in a bad direction. So we've just got to be aware in a culture that money is available. If, if, for, if, if you're working and going down certain paths and you're wanting more, you've got to be careful. There are temptations down that path. Be aware of that. And then verse 10, did you notice it? The love of money, if I fall in love with it, it's a root of all sorts of evil. You notice it doesn't say money is a root of all sorts of evil. Money is just a, it's just a neutral quality. It's just a tool to be used while you are here, if we have the appropriate perspective. But if you love it, you need to think about why do I love it? What do I think it's going to do for me that God's not going to do? But if you love it, he says that's a root that, that helps grow all sorts of evil things. And maybe that's why later in the passage he says, tell those that are rich, be careful, don't be conceited. That's one of the things that can grow when we fall in love with money, when we think money is what life is all about. He says, be careful. Don't be conceited. Don't think you're better than anybody else based on how much money you have because you, you have more than them. Uh, your heart can change based on money. And let me put one more verse up here on this one. If we're tempted to think money is going to solve our problems, we might end up serving it rather than serving God. And that's what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, 24. Nobody can serve two masters. You've got to choose. You're going to hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. If you think wealth is what's going to give you fulfillment in life, you're serving the wrong person. God is what provides all of that. So how can we then appropriately get money in the right place, but not fall in love with it? That's the challenge that the Bible gives us over and over. Number three, enjoy God's blessings. Biblical reminders about money. God does give you what He gives you to enjoy. God does not call everyone uh, to, uh, to go hide in a cave somewhere and not enjoy the things He's given you. Um, God does want us to enjoy them. Did you notice that in verse 17? God richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Enjoy your blessings. and Enjoy them as, as coming from God. Celebrate them as coming from God. Don't just enjoy them for yourself. Don't, don't let them make you prideful or sinful or, or enjoy them the wrong way. Enjoy them with God. God gave them to you for a reason. And God, as a loving Father, wants you to enjoy what He's given you. But we need to balance that biblically with make sure you're wise with what God has given you. You say, all right, I'm going to enjoy it. I'm going to spend everything I have and even a lot that I don't have. Well, wait a second. The biblical principle also says, now be wise with how much God has given you. And you see that especially in the Proverbs. Proverbs 21, verse 20 says, There is precious treasure and oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man swallows it up. Do you hear what that's saying? The foolish man just spends everything. Just spends everything. And there, there's nothing that's been saved. There's nothing that's been held for the future at all. So enjoy what God has given you, yes. But don't just, don't just burn through everything, the Bible says. Be careful about that. Proverbs 22, verse 7 says, The rich rules over the poor, 
and the borrower becomes the lender's slave. Some people, in a push to enjoy life too much, borrow too much, and they become the slave to those that hold that, that, what they borrowed over them. And so the Bible says, yes, enjoy what God has given you, but be careful in how you use it. There's a wisdom in how you spend and how much you spend. And maybe that's a challenge for everybody along the path and probably always will be. But let's just recognize that balance if we can. Number four in this passage, and a biblical reminder. Remember that money is uncertain, but God is not. Money is uncertain. There are going to be times when the economy goes the other direction. There are going to be times when you face a financial reversal. The, the company is changing things around, so your job isn't needed any longer. Or we're going to have to move you to a different place and your salary is not what it used to be. Or your hours are getting cut because things bigger than you are changing and things you have no control over. There's going to be things that happen. Money's uncertain, the Bible says. If you're leaning too much on it, you just don't know. And, and, and you can look in not too far back in history to see that entire economies can go down. Entire economies can crash. Where people who thought they had done everything right and saved up well and invested for the future, and it all disappears. Money is uncertain, but God is not. Did you see that in this section? Verse 17, instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited, we saw that, or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. Don't fix it on the uncertainty of riches. We don't know what those things are going to do in the future. Fix it on God, because God's not going anywhere. Money might go somewhere. God doesn't. And so put your hope in God who, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Again, back in the Proverbs, Proverbs 23, verses 4 and 5, talking about the uncertainty of wealth. He says, do not weary yourself to gain wealth. That's interesting. Sometimes we can wear ourselves out to try to get more, try to get more. Cease from your consideration of it. When you set your eyes on it, it is gone. For wealth certainly makes itself wings like an eagle that flies toward the heavens. That's a funny image to me. You, you, you look at wealth and you want wealth and it just flies away. You might say, yes, that's my experience in life. I look at wealth, it just flies on away. He says, be careful. Money does that. It's not always there. Things change. Don't put too much on money. Put, thing, put your hope in God. He's not going anywhere. Number five, this passage told those who are rich, which... Those of us living in the wealthiest nation on earth, we're probably in that category. He says, be rich in good works and generosity. That's what you want to be rich in. That's what you want to be building up in your life account. Not just, not just money or numbers on a screen or whatever, but, but build up. You're doing good things. You're a generous person. Did you see that in verse 18? Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works. Not, you notice the contrast he's hinting at, don't you? Not just rich, be rich in good works. Be generous, be ready to share. And that stores up a foundation for a, a more important future, he says. That's who we want to be known for. I, I wouldn't want to end life with people just saying, you know what, he had a lot of money. <laughs> well, all right, I'd like to be known for something deeper than that. If, if, if we're going to be known for anything, let's be known for something deeper than that. You know, he did good things. I was, he was a generous person. He, he was caring about other people. He was doing good for us. Those are the types of things you'd like people to be able to say about you. Galatians 6 verses 9 and 10 is a good passage to make sure we write on our lives. That we're not just working to 
get our own stuff or to move up in our own career or to get our own money. We're, we're also doing good for other people. Verse 9, let us not lose heart in doing good. For in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. God will reward that, he says. You just keep doing good for people. God will reward that. And then verse 10, so then while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people and especially to those from the household of the faith. Let us be known as people who are rich in good works. We're trying to help others, especially, he says there at the end, especially your church family, especially fellow Christians who might have struggles along the path. Let's help each other. Let's be there for each other. Let's, let's, let's help each other along the path. But um, again, that's what I want to be rich in. And then one more thing on this one to point out. If you want to write down 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2. A giving toward God's work is part of that generosity that you find in the Bible from beginning to end. In the Old Testament, they were asked to give 10% of, what they were, of all that they prospered to God. The New Testament doesn't give a number, doesn't put a number on it. What it says, you see here in this passage, um, in verse 2, read verse 2. On the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper, so that no collections be made when I come. The Bible says Christians are supposed to follow the example of the apostles, the traditions of the apostles. And the traditions of the apostles were God's people come together, we give together as we've done this morning, as we, we pass the trays around for those of us who are members of the Great Oaks Church family, to give together toward God's work. And so we've, we've given together as we prospered. And that's a between us and God decision. God doesn't put a number on it. But He does want us to give toward His work. So we want to be generous, we want, we want to be rich in good works, we want to be giving toward God's work so that the gospel can spread all over the world so the church can help people in need, so, so that the ministries that help people build faith can continue. All of those things and other things, being generous in our life and even to the work of God. And then number six, last thing I see here in this section. And you may notice others. Feel free to point other things out that I haven't pointed out. Remember what life really is. What life really is. Not, not what people think life is what life really is. Did you notice it there at the end of verse 19? He says, if we're doing good, if we're rich in good works and ready to share, verse 19, we are storing up for ourselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. I saw another translation said, take hold of life that is really life. I like that. I think that's what he's saying. Don't just think this is your life. What did, what did Jesus say last week before he told that story about the rich man? Luke 12, 15. Beware, be on your guard against every form of greed, for not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. Even if you have a lot, he says, that's not your life. That's not who you are. Because that's, again, what did verse 26 say? That stuff's not going to be here. You came in with nothing, you're leaving with nothing. And that's who you really are. When all this stuff is stripped away, you, you, you just you and God. And so life is deeper than our stuff. I'm always challenged by Matthew 16, 26. When I think about life goals, when I think about what am I after, when I think about my attitude towards money, Jesus says, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? That's a really challenging statement, isn't it? He says, let's say you get all of it. Let's say you, you gain the whole world. If your soul's not right, you, you haven't gained anything. Because that, that's not who you really are. 
Your stuff is not who you are. Your soul is who you are. The part that will be here eternally is who you are. And so we always got to keep our perspective bigger. Yes, work hard. Yes, enjoy your job and your, and your salary and, and the things God has given you. But we always want to think bigger than that. We want to be rich in bigger things. And we want to be building up a foundation for a future with God. All these things that think about money, I hope are helpful. I'm sure there's others I haven't mentioned. Again, 2,000 plus verses in the Bible. I'm sure there's other things I haven't mentioned. But a lot of those themes come together right here in 1 Timothy chapter 6. I'd like to end with this. Just a reminder, money's going to affect your life. I think we understand that. Money has an impact on your life. But don't miss that second one. It also has an impact on your faith. How you think about money, how you handle money, is a faith issue between you and God. It'll affect your soul, the way you think about it, the way you pursue it, or or the way you think of it in the right perspective. So let's make sure, between us and God, what I hope these two weeks have done, just give us the reminder. I want to have a perspective that honors God. Remembering He's the one who holds us up. He's the one who gives us all good things. He's the one who gives us money to use appropriately to build toward a better future for ourselves eternally. Let's make sure we keep that perspective. If you're not a Christian here this morning, we hope you're thinking about that. Let us know if you have questions about Christianity. If you're thinking about being baptized in Jesus Christ, we would love to sit down and share with you. Um, I think even, even the topic we're talking about today, there's just a healthier perspective in the Christian life. There's a peace and a strength and a hope that, that's just healthier and it's right and it's good. Uh, if you have any questions about the Christian life, let us know. Here, I think, is what you'll find is how they became a Christian in the Bible. They heard about Jesus. So if, if, you, if you want to learn more about Jesus, let us know. We'll sit down and start studying about Jesus and the Christian life and all that goes into it. They believed in Jesus, but it didn't stop there. Uh, faith by itself, it, it hasn't become alive yet until it acts, James chapter 2 says. So they repented. They made this commitment to live for Jesus. And then they confessed their faith in Jesus and had their sins washed away in baptism. If you're ready to do that this morning, we're about to sing an invitation song. Maybe you've decided today's the day you're ready to become a Christian. We'd love to see you do that. Maybe you'd like the whole church to pray for you about anything going on in your life, whether it's confessing sin, whether it's the challenges of life. We'd sure love to pray for you if we can this morning. If you have any needs you'd like to handle publicly, please come to the front now while we stand and while we sing. Sweetest cry of love and pity